Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. Today, I have the pleasure to announce my guest. He is the designer and creator of a number of small and large tabletop RPG systems, games, and settings. Uh, notable ones include Sunderwald by Longtail Games and Dawnline by Void Spiral Games. We have Richard with us today. Richard, why don't you say hello to the listeners and let us know the other accolades that I clearly forgot to mention. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I, I don't know if there's any accolades, but I'm Richard. I go by Kumada1 on Itch.io and Sprinting Owl on Twitter. Um, I design small RPGs probably more frequently than I should. <laughs> guess maybe uh maybe my most visible ones that i've self-published include rod reel and fist which is a fishing rpg thorkborg which is a 1920s horror morkborg fork and uh fiskborg which adds fishing to the uh, morkborg environment awesome. <laughs> are you a big do you like fishing is that something that you're passionate about uh I, I like fishing conceptually. I am quite bad at it. Really, the, the origin of Rod, Reel, and Fist is pretty accidental. I'd played the Game Boy game Legend of the River King as a child and had really fond memories of it and wanted to see if I could bring any of that to tabletop. And it turned from a like 15-page test document into like a 200-page nightmare. And some people <laughs> have enjoyed it since then, so I'm really happy with that. Good, good. That's great. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Richard. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about uh, Sunderwald specifically, and also you know today's topic at hand to talk about currencies. But before we do that, I do want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about yourself. Maybe give our listeners kind of like your backstory. You know, if if you if you were a, a tabletop RPG character, what would be in your backstory? What systems and games do you really like playing, and what kind of game master or player are you at the core? Sure. Um, so in terms of my own history with RPGs, um, there's probably two games that have had a, a hugely outsized effect on me, and then a lot of games that have had an effect, but like nothing, nothing quite as momentous. Indie 3.5 was my first RPG that I, I started in... Um, in high school and i didn't have any understanding that there was a broader scene for like another 10 years hmm. uh, at which point i was uh, spending a year in japan uh, studying the language and the um, local college rpg club was nice enough to accept me and a couple of other students to to join in on some local games and i played golden sky stories and up until that point, I had only D&D for context. Uh, RPGs are a game where you roll a d20. There's a chance that every attack fails. The game is ultimately about like combat and getting stronger. And Golden Sky Stories is fully the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of it. What, uh, oh, uh, what kind of game is it? It's a wonderful, uh, cozy, slice-of-life, small-town supernatural. Okay, that's cool. I can get behind that. That sounds fun. Yeah. Fully diceless. Uh, fully hmm. diceless, and in combat, everyone loses. About <laughs> as far as you can get from the the D and D experience. Yeah, um, right on. The the central gimmick is that everybody can give everyone experience points, and everybody has a a pool of of points that they can spend to pass skill checks or to activate powers. Hmm. So it's it's got a very collaborative spirit, and I encountered that after 10 years of D&D, &D and it completely shifted my course. That's cool. Did, did, you, did you then strive to find more games like that, that focused less on, I guess, individual growth of characters and, and combat, and focus more on like the collaborative pieces? Has that uh, been your uh, fix from now on? Unfortunately for me, I like both games very much. I <laughs> like the uh, fight monsters grow stronger, uh, mechanically crunchy, conventional style of role-playing game. And I like the like cozy, conceptual, small-scale but still meaningful uh, approach that Golden Sky Stories takes as well. And so I 
spend a lot of my game design effort trying to bash those two things together. Awesome. Very cool. And and have you been running a home game of either of these or some of something else or maybe an online game with some some people across the ocean or is, or has your focus been solely on designing your uh, your games these days? Most of my home games are playtests. Um, I do sometimes run other material, um, but uh, I release a game a week and that leads to a fairly high playtest demand. <laughs> so fair. it's nice yeah, that... when I can get away from the, the play tests and run someone else's material. I do enjoy that a lot. That's that's uh those are some impressive stats, you know. A, a game a week, that's that's a lot. <laughs> less less impressive than it sounds when I say it that way. Sometimes a game a week is like a, a one page uh concept joke for uh, an existing system. I mean, hey, it's I wouldn't belittle it. I'm sure it's still a lot of work. Um, let's then dive into our topic at hand for today. So for those of you listening, uh, as as like a small anecdote, Richard and I were talking on email trying to figure out a time for, for, for today's recording. And I completely misunderstood what Richard asked me as would be like... A, as a suggestion, as a topic for today's conversation. And now we're going to run with it <laughs> and we're going to see what kind of conversation we can have about currency. So Richard, what we usually do on the show is we define our terms uh, without looking it up, without going to like D&D Wiki or whatever. Let's let's try collectively to make sure that we're on the same page and people listening understand what, uh, what we're talking about when we say currencies. And uh, even in the preamble before we started recording, I think you had a pretty good understanding of what that meant so i'll let you start and then if i have anything to add i'll try to add but i'll uh, give it to you first what is currencies uh, that is good news for past me who definitely had a clear and uh, <laughs> well-defined definition to provide here current me is struggling a little bit more but i think if i had to try and nail it down um, i'd say a currency is a resource that you can convert in and out of I like it. It's very broad. It can encapsulate many things. What kind of things could it encapsulate? What would a currency be? So uh, the most like most clear sort of on the surface definition would be money within a game. But another thing that I'd probably personally see as a currency would be something like spell casts in a like a traditional D and D style fantasy game. The currency refreshes itself. You don't necessarily have to worry about your spell economy crashing, but it is a resource that you convert into something else. I, I like that. I like that we can maybe broaden currencies to mean a number of other things that can be exchanged for, you know, and I, I'll admit that my definition of currencies is that it's something that kind of on its own doesn't have a whole lot of value. You know, a coin is a coin. It's only valuable for when somebody sees that coin and wants it, you know, when, when you kind of have this economy going on, when you're trading it for something else. But uh, I, I do want to adopt your definition. I think that there's, more, there's definitely more nuance there if we talk about other things, things that can be expended, things that are refreshed. Would you consider things like in games where we're tracking food or water or usable equipment, you know, uh, yes. things that break, would, would you consider that to be currency and why? Yes, that, at least within my own framework, I tend to treat as currency. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it a little bit more, maybe a better descriptor is barter, I guess, because hmm. barter generally deals with objects that have some sort of innate use or intrinsic value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned earlier that you considered, and now I'm going to put you on the spot, you considered HP, you know, like hit points, life points, as a resource, or not, not a resource, as a currency. Um, yes. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Why, why is that? Uh, in, in games where you can directly spend HP for an effect, like if, if you can spend HP to buff your attack or you can spend HP to take an extra turn or something like that, uh, the line from HP to currency might be a little bit clearer. Mm, but in, in games where you can't spend HP for things, I would argue that it might still be a, a currency in that, um, for example, if you charge into battle, um, thrusting your large pool of HP to keep you safe for a couple of turns, you are still using it 
in in a way that leans on the amount of it that you have. Um, yeah, I guess you're you're, not... you're trading you're trading it as a like you're saying as as this opportunity to be in a perhaps an unfavorable position or to engage an enemy directly or yeah be risky you know take some risks because you know that you you can trade in your HP for that uh, particularly unfavorable position or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. not a transaction you have direct control of in that situation. Like, maybe it's a little bit like shorting a, a stock where you're, you're hoping things go well, but you're relying a little bit on chance to ensure that they do. I like that. I like, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not somebody who invests in the stock market, but I, I can understand oh, that reference. I, anyway. <laughs> I am not. Uh, if other a lot of people buy my games after this interview, maybe that could change. But Perhaps. <laughs> um, all right, cool, 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 cool. Well, so I think, I mean, I think we're kind of on the same page. One thing that I, I, I think kind of fits into this like preamble section of of our of our conversation too is the idea like. Some games, I think, are going to be a little bit more reliant on currency than others. I know that I've always considered myself to be somebody who pays little attention to like monetary value. In a, in a game, I'm not I'm not tracking the beer that my characters are going to spend money on when they go to the bar, stuff like this. But despite certain games, you know, having mechanics that enable you to do so, so I, I guess what i'm trying to get at here is that currencies certain currencies depending on the systems that they kind of like bleed into i feel like you might get more for it you you might get more bang for your buck no pun intended when you're playing with a, a system where the currency you know you're, you're paying attention to like the minuteness of the currency and maybe there's like relevance to tracking back and forth and you know you keep the bookkeeping going i don't know if that that sparks anything in you richard but uh... no i i think you've got something interesting there um something honestly that i hadn't been thinking about previously which is that um even a small amount of currency that functionally does nothing and you could kind of ignore still can provide a lot of enrichment to a game you you play dnd you go to a tavern you spend a couple of copper pieces the loss of those copper pieces is probably not going to be mechanically significant to your character. And it's not something that the game necessarily requires you to track to, to mm -hmm. play the game or to have a good time. It does make kind of a neat role-playing prop, and it does add a little bit of immersion to track things at that sort of granular level, depending on the group, depending yeah. upon the way you like to play the game. So, yeah, having a... I guess a small pool of a currency that does nothing but you spend sometimes is maybe an interesting thing you can do as a designer or or do as a GM. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, I think you're touching on something neat there too, right? There's there's different hats, right? Cer certain systems, I think, incentivize or encourage rather they encourage the people playing the game to track the to track certain currencies in it. To a very minute level in D and D, you better be tracking HP when you're going into combat because otherwise, the combat you, you know what I mean like the, the combat can't really work if the players aren't keeping track of the HP that they have or they don't have. Whereas other systems like you were talking about the game that you played in Japan, you didn't really go into fights because if you did, the game was done. So I wonder how does that how do you feel a system's design the way the subsystems of a system work? How does that influence like the importance of currencies in the game? Maybe does that make sense? Yeah, um, I guess it depends a little bit on what you can exchange the currencies for. Uh, for example, uh, one of the games that I spent a long time uh, finessing and re-editing and redrafting had an option um, to spend a, a currency for extra actions in combat. And combat was otherwise very, like, very classical dungeon-crawling RPG style. Mm. And the ability to suddenly take six actions in a turn did devastating things to game balance and sure. required <laughs> multiple reworks. So something like that, for sure, would have a, a pretty outsized effect on the game. But on the other hand, I guess to talk about Sunderwald for a second. Um, Sunderwald yeah, 
has a very everybody wears the designer hat sometimes sort of philosophy and players have a resource that they can spend to add little details to the world and that resource is its own uh its own kind of currency cool why don't you yeah get into it get into it more tell us more please okay uh so quick uh quick overview of sunderwald um it is a game that i pitched to the the publisher longtail games who's who's neat and has a lot of other titles that they're producing based on the idea that it was a game that was not fully complete, that there were like Mad Libs style blanks in it that you could fill in as you play the game. Um, also similar to like a legacy board game like Risk Legacy, where uh, when you're done playing through a campaign, your version of the core book is going to be completely different from anybody else's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so the the game is designed in such a way that there are lots of little like achievements you can unlock that then give you a chance to change how the game is played or change how the setting works. And there's also a, a currency called realization, which lets you make very little changes, nothing momentous like adding a new class or a new species. Um, but uh, for example, you could spend a realization to um, to say that humans are allergic to the plant myrtle hmm. and have have that as a, a detail in the, the setting. That's kind of cool. That's really cool, actually. Um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about a variety of different resources. I, I'm going to put you on the spot again, Richard, and ask you what is your favorite – not resource, I said resource – currency. What is your favorite uh, implementation of currency in uh, perhaps a game that you've designed? I mean, we talked a little bit about – uh, one of the ones in Sunderworld. Are there any others in the in in that particular game or in in any game you've ever played? Like, what is your favorite implementation of currency? Oh gosh, that is <laughs> that is a question that I am not emotionally or personally equipped to answer, but I will do my best. Okay, let's um, here. I'll soften it. I'll say one that you're fond of. It doesn't have to be um, doesn't have to be your favorite because I think that's maybe too absolute. I don't think anybody could answer that question. <laughs> Okay, well, we've changed my internal emotion here from panic to confusion. <laughs> uh, I I like currencies as they're implemented probably in most games. Um, probably, I like the ones that I've included in Sunderwall. There's, in addition to realization, there's a lot of currencies that you have to manipulate your dice. Um, you can increase your odds of succeeding. You can increase the effects of your success. Um, you can uh, cancel out complications from bad rolls. Cool. Uh, you can survive uh, damage or other forms of harm, like um, like social harm or or magical harm. You know, I, I not to stop you too much in your tracks, because I want you to get to it to continue. But I, I just want to add, I I really agree with that. With this, I love currencies that allow you to take a bad roll or take a bad circumstance and gives you another opportunity to have at it. You know, it, it, it provides you with a limited pool of resources that you can use or currencies that you can use to have another go or maybe give yourself a bonus because it's maybe it's narratively appropriate or your character is destined to do something or whatever, yada, yada. That is the D&D 3.5 influence on me. Um, <laughs> I, I like the feeling of games like Pathfinder and, and Fifth Ed. Uh, I, I like the sort of like broad, open-ended problem solving that something like a dungeon presents to the players and something like a combat presents to the players. But uh, as, as a, a player and a GM, um, I got a little frustrated with what felt like sometimes the, the randomness of the dice. Mm -hmm. if the RNG decides you lose, you lose, and there's not a lot of ways that you can check that. Finder has some. Uh, there's there's a couple in 3.5. Fifth Ed has some options as well, but mostly you can't really mess with the roles in those games after they happen. Mm -hmm. And conversely, I tend to build a lot of systems where you can mess with roles. I've I've done some like scenario and and content design for Morkborg which has omens as a reroll currency. And I also did some uh, some design for a vampire game called Dawnline, where the premise is that everybody has a pool of points that you can just spend to influence the dice on a roll. 
though. If if you roll straight ones all the time, <laughs> you can still burn your pool to the ground to uh, to pick the roll you want to succeed on. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, because it gives you a little bit more control, I guess. You know, instead of just yeah. solely relying on the dice. And and some people like it. Some people don't. And I'm one of those people that don't. You know, I I can agree to the fate of the dice most of the time but every now and then there's something where you're like no i this is the one that i want to this is the one that i want and because like yeah. it's going to be cool and it's going to make my character feel cool yeah i i like the dice as a prompt and sometimes mm -hmm. that prompt is you've had really bad luck and something terrible is going to happen i also like uh as a player and as a gm uh people being able to have a response to that prompt that isn't just well it's bad to be me right now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Cool. So yeah, so you talked a little bit about some of these resources in Thunderwald. Are there others that you know what that you were gonna get to before I interrupted you? So uh, so rudely interrupted you. Um, I mean, most of the the system is sort of covered by grit points, wounds, push, brace, and realization. Those are sort of the the general currencies that you spend to influence rules or add details. Mm -hmm. um, you also um, can take rituals and equipment with you and both of those things have charges which uh is how much use you can get out of the item or the the technique before it's no longer good um i love that man i love that so much i love reusable items or items that have charges i, I find it gives the game master we're talking about control i find that it gives the game master a little bit more control you can you're in a game perhaps you're homebrewing your own items or you're you're not sure about the you know how strong something's going to be in a specific space you you know you just give it like four charges <laughs> let let the players try it for four times and then if it's completely broken well you don't have to worry about it anymore after four charges <laughs> yes i, I think it, it also gives a sort of tension to the game mm. Like if if your party is fully stocked if if all your equipment is full up on charges you have more ability to wriggle out of a bad situation. Whereas if everyone has burned some of the charges off their equipment, there's a little bit more of a feeling in the background that if something bad happens, you might not be able to, to yeah. survive it. But I think I like atmospheric games as a GM, um, and I, I like cultivating atmosphere, and I like the effect that mechanics like that can have on atmosphere. It's a very yeah. That's an extremely good point. I, I got into a Twitter conversation with somebody. It was a long time ago, and it was about tracking food. And I I was you know I was a staunch believer for a very long time. Like why would you ever track rations? Like it's such a waste of time. But past Matt thought that <laughs> I'm not judging. You know, but I like why? Like I don't want to track that. I don't. I you know I look at spreadsheets all day at work in my day job. I don't want to come to my fantasy land game and have to track like how many pieces of like dehydrated beans i have in my back sack but i you know i had never considered the fact that there are games where the atmosphere is this is an atmosphere of you know scarcity maybe you're in a desert the whole time and the food isn't easily accessible and it you can't really replicate that feeling i don't think without putting into the limelight certain resources certain currencies and saying look this is this is all you're gonna get you have to go and, and find more you have to hunt for food or whatever i anyway so i i've seen the other side of it i don't think i have yet to play a game where i've felt compelled to do those things anyway but i think i think certain currencies like you're saying can certainly add um, a layer of atmosphere when you shift the focus to them or if, if the game itself you know the system itself focuses on those currencies i i think it's also perfectly valid to to hand wave currencies that your group doesn't want to deal with mm, good point food tracking is a pain and it's pulling you out of the game and and you hate counting the number of pieces of like bacon in your inventory don't do that play the game yeah, in a way that's not. that's fun to you focus on the the currencies that are meaningful to the way that you play absolutely absolutely i also think that currencies sometimes is fun when you kind of like use a currency in an unexpected way you, you touched a little bit about the on this when you talked about using hp as like a sacrificial you know you sacrifice some of your hp to give yourself a bonus or to 
have some kind of unexpected outcome. I I find that to be so interesting when a game system has a, has a way to use currencies like this in kind of like a unconventional way. Have you come across this or have you designed games where currencies are used in in a, in a way that perhaps isn't uh, commonplace? And would you like to talk about it a little bit? <laughs> um I I'm not sure if I've designed stuff where the the currency is is totally unconventional. Um, I, I guess maybe, maybe Sunderwald with realization as a, a currency to add details yeah, to the game, I'd say. but I don't think that's unique to Sunderwald. Games like Fate do that as well. Um, I, when I was rifling through the Sunderwald like, rulebook, one thing that I found particularly interesting, and I don't know if we count this as currency, so maybe it's a two-parter. Is it currency to you and then the rest of this? But there, there were there were sections where you know when a player did this does something five times or ten times or when the party does something x amount of times something happens. I kind of see that as a currency. You're maybe not using it in the game huh. as a currency, but it's like the meta game of of being the 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 designer of of Sunderworld. I thought that was pretty cool. It was kind of like an interesting take on repetition, perhaps, or or when you when you do a certain playstyle for too long now there is this constant not a consequence but there is this trigger um i thought that was kind of neat i so now i'm having like a crisis of design as i'm i'm thinking about <laughs> it because that was not in my framework of of what a currency is i was just thinking well you're just you're you're tracking something x number of times you you mm -hmm. defeat this monster in combat six times you make up a new monster and add it to the region like that that sort of thing for for me that was just like sort of tally marks on a board but and i thought for a second about uh <laughs> clocks for example in blades in the dark mm. those are for sure a currency yeah um, yeah, adding, yeah adding or removing ticks to a clock that advances you towards a certain game state if that game state is really bad you might be willing to convert other resources at a loss to try and remove ticks from that clock and that's that is absolutely currency behavior there. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So now, <laughs> well, I'm now, sorry. I guess <laughs> I am now worried that everything might be currency, and I, I don't know how to design in in that sort of framework. I mean, I guess, and is that a bad thing that everything is? I don't. I don't know. I guess we'll find uh, out. <laughs> it's it's a bad thing in the sense that I am experiencing designer existentialism, but. <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing in terms of the possibilities that it opens up. I mean, I think it does. I think because, yeah, I mean, Sunderwall does offer an interesting perspective of, yes, you're playing this game. That is, that's, that, you know, with your friends at the table or virtually or whatever, you know, you're, you're playing a game where there are currencies to be expended. But there's also the metagame that I think is super neat that you get to, like the legacy part of it and. You get to have your kind of own influence on on the tone of the game, even based on the things that you uh, put into it. Um, actually, that kind of segues to something that I wanted to talk to you about too. Is do you find that currencies effect, can affect the tone of a game, and yes. if so, how? Yes, absolutely. Depending on the things that you are tracking, just knowing that you're tracking something and sort of put it in the player's mind, uh, maybe a little subconsciously. To focus on that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I released a game just two weeks ago uh, called Overwar, which is a tabletop strategy RPG, sort of evolving a, a game back into like uh, chainmail or like a, turning an RPG into sort of a war game. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things it does is it tracks uh, the uh, player character's reputation. And the hmm. the section about repute specifically says this does nothing unless you want it to. However, just knowing that it's there does sort of uh, predispose people to look at it. Yeah, um, and to for sure. pay attention to that as a an element of the game. Like if I was playing a, a PC game, for example, and there was a blood meter in the upper right corner of the screen, even if I never saw that meter move, I would be watching it like a hawk because it clearly <laughs> means something. It's a really interesting point. Um, I, I think we could even go so far as to say that currencies will affect player behavior, right? It, it's 
if there is something that's being tracked, it's because it has value, or at least it, it portrays to the person that's playing that like yep. this is something of importance. And by by doing that, you can kind of incentivize people to play a certain way when you're designing a game. Or even as a game master, if, if you're fixating on certain currencies and not others, you're telling players, this is the way that I want you to play the, play the game. And maybe I'm like overgeneralizing. I'm certainly overgeneralizing here. But um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I didn't really have a question, but it was just a thought that popped into my head. No, I, I think that's totally valid. You can, just like including a currency causes people to sort of pay attention to that currency and its themes, uh, deprioritizing a currency can sort of focus the game in other directions. If mm. if you have a, a GM who says, don't pay attention to copper pieces, we don't worry about those here, um, that definitely deprioritizes sort of the, the granularity of, yeah. of money in that game. Uh, weirdly, I'm realizing that uh, we're talking about currency and Sunderwall doesn't actually track player characters' money. A, a significant way it assumes that everybody has enough money to provision themselves for an expedition mm -hmm. and just completely ignores tracking cash but then treats a, a whole bunch of other like more abstract things like your, yeah. your willpower and your fortitude as kinds of cash there was a few you know as i was preparing for today's episode there was a few things that i I did a little bit of research and some of the games that I've played or even, sometimes video games too, I find can find very fascinating ways of using currency. And here I'm talking specifically money. Um, but maybe there's, maybe there's some counterpoints that you can bring to this Richard. It's it, I just, I wanted to give the listeners some examples of using currency in, in different ways, in addition to the ones you've already provided. And I think the first one that comes to mind to me, I'm a big Soulsborne guy. I love playing souls games, even though they frustrate the, they, they frustrate me to high end. But this concept of using the same currency for multiple things is, I think, a lot of fun. It, specifically in the Soulsborne games, you know, your currency is also the thing that you use to level up. It's, it's the thing that you use to purchase equipment. Uh, it kind of creates this barometer for risk when you have a whole lot of it. It, it will affect how risk averse you become. Um, so... Anyway, that, that was one thing. Do you have any thoughts or, or considerations about that? Have you played games like that? Yeah, no, I, I enjoy Dark Souls and Elden Ring and, and that genre quite a bit. Um, and it definitely certainly does something for advancement when the, mm. the currency with which you buy new equipment is the same as the currency for which you increase your stats. I don't know that the majority of Dark Souls players necessarily think of it this way, but it, it does frame uh, new equipment and new items as character progression yeah, in a way yeah, that they sure. don't necessarily feel like in other RPGs. And yeah, because especially you're, you're taking it at the expense of your character like stat growth or whatever. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, another one that I... Now I forget. I think it's a, it's a, it's a video game called Metro. Is that possible? I'm, I'm, now I'm forgetting where uh, you... Oh, go, go ahead apocalyptic train tunnel exploring sim for the most part yeah 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 and um now i'm looking at my notes and i'm forgetting which of these interesting uses of currency it's for but i'm going to go on a limb and correct me bullets yeah that's it so using weapons as your currency is another um an interesting use i i think i've never done that where it's like your arrows are your <laughs> are also yeah. the thing that you buy things with but yeah, for sure. I, I really enjoy Metro's use of, of bullets as a currency because it, it forces you to manage your scarcity um, mm. in a way that gives you options for permanent upgrades. If, if you go to the right person with enough bullets, you can buy things that permanently improve your capacity as a character, but that requires you to have enough bullets and not think you'll need them later. Yeah, it, it definitely kind of puts you in this position, right? Uh, another game that I that I play currently, it's actually one of the home games that one of my friends runs. I'm a player in it, and it's like a weird Warhammer Fantasy slash Fate Core hybrid. Um, and anyway, in the game right now, whenever we travel anywhere, it costs us money. And and the way that they've implemented this in the game is 
you know, there's like toll booths and you're using official roads and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I really like to think of this concept of for you to be able to move freely in the overworld, you have to spend money. It, it really adds kind of a weight to the decisions that we're making as, as a party. Like, do we really want to go there? Maybe we should go there on our way to somewhere else, things like that. I know you also talked about, was it the Robotech game? Uh, yeah, the Battletech uh, PC Battletech game. game. Yes, it, it has a, a similar rule where um, relocating to a new area has a sort of a resource cost associated with it. Yeah, so so these are a, a variety of different uh, a different different varieties of the same currency, which is I suppose money in in most of these instances. But uh, I challenge the people listening to maybe find an unconventional way to use the currencies that they have in their games to see if it kind of can throw a loop to their players, maybe challenge them to think about a certain currency in a, diff- in a different way. And sometimes the system doesn't necessarily require you to do it, but you can always kind of mess around with it, you know, put them in a, a region or a town where now ammunition is the only way to buy things or whatever and see what they do. <laughs> I Honestly, I think there's something to say here about currencies parentheses positive and currencies parentheses negative. Okay, um, sure. Let's have at it. Uh, for example, in in Dawnline, your your willpower is a resource that you spend to boost your rolls. It's mm. a currency with a purely positive effect. Um, running out of it can leave you in a tight spot, but when you're using it, it's always good for you. Compare that to you need money to travel. Um, that's a that's a currency that is defined by the negative effects that happen when you don't have enough of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that predisposes a very different interaction with the currency, a very different way people feel about it. With willpower, it's, oh good, I've got more willpower. With money, it's, oh no, I don't have enough money. Um, But I think you can use that to shape gameplay. You can use that to encourage uh, encourage people to use a currency more Mm -hmm. um, or to be more careful around a currency. Uh, for example, if your game has a currency called like portions of your soul that uh, you have sold, just the name there uh, encourages a certain amount of player caution. Yeah, I really like that, and and I also like that you know if you as a as a game master listening, if you can kind of define whether or not you're using a currency to, for a positive and or negative uh, effect. A one way for you to add a variety to your game is to then try to flip it on its head. If you, if you've been using a specific currency in a positive way because that's kind of the natural fit for it, try to introduce maybe uh, an environment or a mechanic or or something that would look at it from the other perspective to for your players to consider it from two angles. And I don't know if that's possible. Uh, what do you think, Richard? Is that something hey. that you think would be feasible? I definitely think that's possible. In terms of gold, for example, is it is it a thing that lets you do cool stuff when you have more of it? Or is it a thing that causes problems when you run out of it? That mm-hmm. that framing can give your game a very different tone. Similarly, I guess you could do things like um, like you need sufficiently low stats to be able to enter an area or use an item or, or something along those lines. I don't know that that would would be a thing that's worth implementing in every <laughs> style of game, but in in games where you kind of slowly burn your character down over time, like Call of Cthulhu, for example, might create an interesting interplay with the the rest of the rules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. I'm looking at the clock, and I do want to talk to you a little bit more about Sunderwald. And we did get a question actually from from Twitter, so maybe we'll go to the question first. And then we'll have a little parentheses um, to talk more specifically about Sunderwald and kind of your inspirations for it and things like that. Sure. But um, yeah, so we got a question from from uh, Doctor underscore HTTV, and Doc asks us, and and Doc for a little bit of context runs a, a pretty cool Pokemon style tabletop RPG uh, actual play podcast and stream. And um, it's maybe less of a question and more of a statement, but maybe we can dissect it a little bit. 
Uh, using poke again in PTU is very confusing because something cheap is like 500, but do I give them a bunch of money? I feel like I backed myself into a corner by not giving them a bunch from the start. This isn't a question, I'm just laying out my issues. Actually, I think what that's, uh, that's getting at is like currency inflation. Yeah, there's, there's something to be, be said for a game where like your HP is in the millions and your damage is in the hundreds of thousands versus mm. a game where your HP is three and a standard amount of damage is one. Those create a different feeling based on the magnitude of the number. And that's, that's true with money as well. Um, like, uh, don't know Pokemon well enough to be mm. confident in my understanding, but if you're meant to read it like the yen, you, you put a, a decimal mark two zeros in. So 500 poke yen would be $5 approximately. Um, but when you do that, like you've now got to staple two zeros onto everything else in the system. Um, and yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can get really granular that can involve tracking large amounts. On the other hand, it can feel fun. Like if, if your character has, I don't know, 70,000 gold, even if this is a setting where prices are heavily inflated and that's what you can buy, like maybe a sword or a chicken for, it still feels like a lot. Um, and so I guess if the amount that you're working with feels cumbersome, chop some zeros off of everything, work with smaller numbers. I usually use that approach. Um, I don't have a great brain for math, so I try to make things simple for myself. If you yeah. want the game to feel like there's there's a real magnitude to it, throw some zeros on. Make the numbers big. Have have a large amount of currency that everyone can use, even if it's for the same amount of effect. Yeah, I I think that's really an interesting perspective there because you're right, and it I think it might be because of the system that that uh, Doc is using, right? I, I think Poke Yen, probably like you're saying, matches the Japanese yen, but. Uh, I'm I'm not familiar with PTU, although I may be looking it up. I I do like uh, Pokemon and tabletop um, <laughs> as, as a a thing that coincides. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, to add my perspective here, to I mean, I'm not sure if this is answering your thoughts, Doc, but something that happened to me when I was playing my games was for a very long time, not for a very long time, for for my home game, my pirate campaign. Uh, at the very beginning, I told my players, I don't attract minutia. We're here to have fun. We're playing we're gonna start with fate core see where it takes us and have a good time and let's just like be pirates doing piratey things and like sailing the seven seas on our boat and like having a good time i'm not gonna track your money i'm gonna assume you have the money you need to buy the things you need kind of like sunderwell style you know like you're pirates you're gonna loot people to get the money you need to buy the weapons you need but then you know the game that was supposed to last five games lasted 10 games and 20 games and I felt like there was a lack of depth that I needed to add to the game. And so I, I felt myself wanting to introduce a little bit more granular currency system. But I felt like there was a disconnect where if I added a currency system now, the things that they used to be able to get for free would feel bad. You know, it's like, oh, you need more cannonballs for your cannon? Sucks to be you because you don't have enough money. You got to go loot somebody first. And like, I, I didn't want to make my players feel bad for adding a system of currency. I don't know if that's exactly what you're getting at with your thought here, but my way around that was to kind of add it in at a different level. So instead of being granular, well, now we're going to steal the wealth point system from the Seventh Seas game and just say, you know what? Now, whenever you go somewhere and you sack a boat or whatever, you sack a village, you've just accumulated, I don't know, two wealth points. It's easy for us to keep track of. We can define what that wealth point is based on the location it's in. Maybe you have a bunch of cane sugar now and that's worth two wealth points. And if you go somewhere where cane sugar is really scarce, the economy of the region is going to make it so that, that those wealth points are worth maybe a little bit more or vice versa. If there's a whole bunch of cane sugar everywhere, well, you're not going to be able to get as much of value for your money. So I kind of added a complexity to the economies instead of to the, like the granularity of like the minutia of tracking these things, um, which I found to be a lot of fun. Yeah, sometimes you want to track like your, your amount of supply, but you don't want to track individual musket balls. So just having supply points as an abstraction does that sort of thing. 
yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun. And I again, I don't know if that answers your thoughts. I hope between Richard's answer and mine, you have, you have something to go off of. But thank you for, for your question. Uh, now let's talk about Sunderwald. Sunderwald, sorry, I'm a little bit congested. Oh, no, all good. <laughs> so really quickly, I know you already talked about it a little bit. But why don't you give us the, the you know the sparks note quick and easy definition of the game and then we can kind of dive into some of the granularity later. Sure. So the the quick pitch is that it is an atmospheric dark fantasy RPG about scavenging an extremely haunted and cursed and maybe evil woodland. And the game is uh not finished. You do that. The system is fully playable, the mechanics are all implemented, but there are lots of blank spots in the book. The players and GM and group can add things. And a lot of these things are very specific. There are unlock conditions, sort of like achievements, that allow you to specifically add new things to the game. Um, if you've ever played a legacy board game, it's, it's a very similar concept. Um, Likewise, uh, a, a lot of like roguelite games, for example, have sort of a gameplay meta that evolves as you unlock more stuff and add it to mm. the game. It, in this case, it's not it's not very predefined. the The unlock will say add a new monster to this region or or change this monster's stats in one of five different ways. It leaves a lot of um, the sort of the creative part of it up to you. You can play the game completely vanilla and use none of these systems and it's it's still totally workable but if you want to for example add a new character class to the game add a new species to the game evolve the way the game plays to fit your group and to make it a little bit more distinctive that's that's the way sunderwald is built to be played yeah i i really like that kind of like legacy um almost like a legacy style rule book that's there right it's it really gives you this opportunity to as you unlock things add your own flavor to to the game to the setting to the world um i think the reason it resonates with me so well is because that's kind of how i do my world building i create a space i create factions or enemies but i don't have it fully defined because as we engage with it we're going to be able to define it as a table together and i i really think that that parallel like there's there's some really cool parallels there um yeah, why the, oh keep going yeah sorry i i wanted to quickly note the world building is like the the changes that you make to the game aren't meant to be onerous um sunderwald mm, of is course. designed in a way that you sort of adjust it piece by piece because i know some people really don't like wearing the game designer hat they're they're there to play the game they're there to gm the game they don't want to have to build the game at the same time um and so it's 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 very piecemeal you're not necessarily going to like sit down and and thresh out the entire cosmology of the setting because you accidentally rolled a die one too many times it's you had <laughs> you had little bits you build it as you play yes yes a very good caveat um w one thing that i wanted to ask you was why did you decide to make it this way is there is there something about like legacy content legacy games that that influenced you to make a decision like this or really the sort of the initial uh, impetus for this game being made was thinking that it would be it would be difficult to design an rpg this way and i wasn't sure if i could do it that drives a lot of my design ultimately if Cool. I accidentally think, wow, I don't think I could make this type of game. Usually the next thing I do is try to make that type of game. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And what, uh, you know, speaking of inspirations, what kind of things did inspire you? I, I mean, the, the, the setting itself, the wall is, is, is full of neat and gritty, but also like kind of weird creatures and, and deities and, and things like that. What uh, was your inspiration for kind of going that route? Uh, so there was a, a bit of a mix. Probably the, the biggest individual piece was the Russian uh, sci-fi novel, A Roadside Picnic. Um, the basic premise is aliens come to Earth, mess around, and then leave. And the spot where they had their picnic, 
uh, is now full of objects that don't behave the way they should, physics anomalies. If you've ever played Metro or Stalker, it's it's very similar to that. And I, I like the idea of um, exploring and interacting with and building a society alongside a place that just doesn't behave by the rules that your reality is used to. Um, so that was a chunk of it. Uh, I also really liked the sort of the sense of of forgottenness um, in Dark Souls 2. Um, there's a feel like a feeling of archaeology to those games that I, I really dig. Um, and I, I wanted to present a little bit of that as well. Um, there there were also some other influences like um, like Annihilation, uh, the Southern Reach trilogy. Um, uh, which maybe could be kind of comparable to Roadside Picnic in some ways, although uh, I guess don't quote me on that. I don't. I don't feel as <laughs> confident in that assessment. Um, also, games like Trophy that place a very big emphasis on atmosphere and dread hmm. um, was sort of swirling around in the back of my head. Um, it's. Cool. I don't. I don't awesome. tend to design games to like necessarily to duplicate any one thing i just kind of muddle together a bunch of different influences and, and see what comes out yeah no for sure and i mean i think everybody's creative process is is different but at the end of the day yeah it's totally your 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 creation um but it's sometimes it's fun to see you know the parallels between things i definitely got a vibe that yeah the wald is this kind of something happened here who knows what it is? I guess you'll find out kind of kind of thing. And yeah, things don't behave the way that they should. That it seemed seemed like an interesting place to interact with in a in a, in a tabletop RPG for sure. Yeah, it's um, it's supposed to be coherent and have like sort of a like a feeling of consistency, even if you don't necessarily know the rules it operates on. It it is operating on some kind of rules. Yeah, yeah. And and there's also some pretty neat playable races that I I mean as far as I'm concerned, they're they're pretty unique. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I I want to say no, but it is the Gressler. Um, <laughs> like sort of if a lamprey was a centaur, but actually they're very polite and kind of mild mannered by default. There's there's room to of course play them in different ways, and there's room to modify them via uh, unlocks and via realizations to completely change how they how they play and how the lore around them works if, if you want to do that uh, the, the default version of a a very polite very off-putting gigantic monster was yeah yeah kind yeah, of yeah. To me. <laughs> i i love it that that's definitely i love this idea too I've, i don't think i've ever seen a character that is like you said a gigantic I kind of pictured it as being a giant eel, but I guess you're right. It's more of a... Oh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely yeah. eel-like. Probably an eel or a lamprey or like a tree, I guess, kind of, because they've got mm. a lot of extra limbs. Maybe a little bit like an octopus, also a centaur. That, that sort of broad theme. <laughs> yeah. For those of you listening, I hope this makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me because I've seen the picture of it. But uh, yeah, it's like Richard said, it's like a centaur... But instead of being human-headed, it now has, like he's saying, this this eel or lamprey or almost like a bloodsucker type, type of thing with six tentacle arms. I guess with that, I'm looking at the clock. Yeah, we're a little over time. So I, I thank you, Richard, for being here to talk to us about Currencies, about Sunderwald, and about the rest of your games. Before we go into the outro for the show, why don't uh, we try, and this is always the hardest part of the show, is trying to... Uh, conclude and wrap up the things that we talked about in the earlier segment. So we talked about currencies. How did we how did we define that, Richard? What was our takeaway? Uh, so to my horror, we found out that currencies can be anything. They can be bitcoins. <laughs> they can be time. They could be cheese. They could be you or me. Anything is a currency, probably. Um, <laughs> Pro maybe, perhaps. We'll see. Um, but I, I did like the way you uh, you t you talked about it being something that you can exchange. I think is kind of what we landed on. It was something yeah. that, yeah, it's it's something that you can kind of trade in. You can exchange. It can be refreshable 
or not can be earned and and yeah like like we said it can be just about anything if you pay enough attention to it as the game master or as the you know as the designer of a system uh we then went to talk about some uh, we then went to talk about some i guess different uses for currencies or, or different perspectives on currencies i think one of the big ones that i really liked was this idea that you talked about richard where it was you know, try to think about currencies and the positive and or negative uh association that the party or players will have towards it and if you want to kind of spice things up you can try to re-engineer that and reverse it so if it's something that people have a negative you know oh i'm losing hp it's bad well maybe see if there's a way for you to introduce a mechanic where ah you know what i'm losing hp and it's good and see see how they <laughs> see how they yeah. take it um any any other any other takeaways for you richard in in our uh, ramblings about currencies. Uh, we we sure did ramble a bit. Um, as far as takeaways for me, I guess I'm now now reluctantly seeing time as as maybe a currency. I, I don't know how that will influence my designs going forward. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think too something that we talked about that was kind of neat was uh, how currencies, depending on your focus on specific currencies you can affect the tone of your game you can affect kind of the the ambiance of the game you know that if, if you're focusing on a game that's more survival perhaps or you want that to be a tone that's important to you then yeah focusing on tracking inventory tracking the the weapons or the resources that might be scarce things like this so, so depending on the tone of the game that you want the currency certain currencies will be your focus others might not um i'm sure we talked about other things uh we philosophized quite a bit but i think that's some of the big takeaways i I challenge the listeners to think of a currency that you use that you maybe take for granted and for you know understanding its use and see if there's a way for you to pivot and use it in a different context for a different thing and see how your players react to it and of course you know do it in a way that isn't changing the fundamental way you play the game and have fun at your table. But uh, if you choose to do that, talk to everybody first, but <laughs> it could be an interesting way to, to play your games. And then we talked a little bit about Sunderwall and, you know, all of the neat things there. And why don't uh, I pass this over to you now, Richard, to tell folks where they can find you, where they can follow your projects, buy your projects, is is Sunderwall is the Kickstarter done? Is it too late for folks to to get in on Sunderwall? Uh, well, yes and no. The Kickstarter has concluded. Uh, however, there are definitely other ways you can pick up Sunderwall. Uh, if you go to Longtail Games web store, uh, Cardboard Monster, um, you can get it there. If you go to uh, Longtail Games's itch page or my itchio page, uh, A U M A D A one on itchio um or just search uh, for sunderwald on itchio you can find it there as well uh there's there's still plenty of avenues for you to pick it up awesome cool well i definitely recommend that people do it's a neat game definitely worth checking out um and yeah where can people find you if they want to be in the loop for your future projects one of your uh, weekly games there as you said <laughs> so if you want to check out new games coming out weekly somehow still for two years um a-u-m-a-d-a-1 on itch.io um or you could i guess search any of my uh, my games like uh, rod reel and fist um she melee thork borg uh, fisk borg or Overwar, um, and those will also take you uh, by a more indirect route to my game page. Uh, also, a lot of my stuff is up on DriveThruRPG, and you can find me on Twitter at SprintingOwl. Sprinting like running, owl like the bird. Awesome. Well, again, with that, Richard, thank you so much for being here on the show, talking about about your games and your experiences. Uh, you definitely rounded me out as you were because I I can't uh, sometimes I just can't really elaborate on certain things because I don't have that kind of background and I it was a lot of fun kind of hearing you rumor what's the word rumorate is that a word anyway uh, ruminate 
ruminate that's it that's the one <laughs> ruminate on you know what i'm not even sure if i'm using that properly but you know <laughs> thinking about some, some of these things from your, with your designer hat on i i really appreciated that i'll say yeah. it was great to be here glad, glad you thought so uh and with that let's call it a chat